Good morning, TLC. How are we doing? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, the New Year has ushered my allergies in and uh, sinus stuff, so I apologize. We will fight through this together. And uh, if I drop over, it's because I feel like I got a brick in my brain right now. So we're going to try to work through this together, try to work through this passage together. But uh, hey, if you haven't been with us, we just did a three-week series on the paradoxes of Christmas. Uh, Adam uh, Mignani, one of our high school seniors, led us off. Uh, Now I got to speak on the 22nd. And last week, Justin Eldridge uh, killed the passage um, as he took a look at uh, triumph found through surrender. And so, Justin, thank you for uh, leading last week. And I've heard nothing but awesome stuff last week as he opened up God's word. And so uh, we are transitioning back right now. Uh, We are going through the story. Uh, It is walking through the Bible in 31 weeks. Uh, we love that you're here. We're in the middle. We're in week 11. It's not too late. Uh, this is the only copy I have out there. If you want to pick it up, it's five bucks. If you, uh, into the land of Canaan, and he's going to set up uh, his nation through Abraham and his offspring. And so uh, God does that. And in the midst of that, uh, the nation of Israel gets into a heap of trouble. They become prisoners in Egypt, and the Egyptians have ruled over them. And God delivers the nation of Israel out of Egypt uh, through the parting of the Red Sea. And so Israel comes out of Egypt, and they're no longer in slavery. But if you know the story... Uh, they begin to grumble and complain as they are out wandering, and God sends them through 40 years in the desert. One of the things I want to really highlight is that is the 40 years, it's really weird because we think it's punishment, but it's actually an act of love. In those 40 years, God is going to really meet with those Israelites in the desert to let them know who he is and what he is about, and so the Israelites might know his heart. And so out of that, they go into the promised land, and they inherit the promised land, and we were there here right before Christmas where they inherit the promised land, and in, in the middle of the promised land, some things go wrong again. If you don't get the cycle with the Israelites, uh, some great things happen. God does some great things, and then they jack some things up, and so they jack things up, and yet God is faithful to them, and God continues to provide for them, and now we are at this place where Israel says, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. And so God grants them their wish, even though it was not God's perfect will. Uh, It it was uh, an act of grace on God's part, even in the midst of that. And so they pick a guy, and if you were to pick a king, who would you pick? Who are you picking as a king? Come on, who are you picking? Tall, dark, handsome, muscular, warrior kind of type, and that's who they're going to choose. They're going to choose a guy named Saul. And Saul is going to be king, and King uh, Saul is very handsome. He's very much a warrior. Uh, he is brave, all those good things that you want out of a king, and yet he comes to a place of failure in his life, and things turn for the bad. And so God today is going to do something different, and he's going to choose a different king, and this king is not one like we would think. And so that's where we're going to be. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, I think it's maybe page 210 in some of your Bibles uh, but 
1 Samuel 16, if you don't know, just go to the beginning, table of contents, look up 1 Samuel 16, no shame in here, uh, but that's where we're going to be, 1 Samuel 16, and then we'll hit a little bit of Acts 13 as well, that's where we're going to be today, but let's pray as we dive into God's word this morning. So Father, we come to you, we thank you for all that you are to us, thank you for what you're going to do in the next few minutes, I pray that Father, you would speak in and through me right now, that Father, your spirit would go forth, and that Lord, we might know you. That, Father, we might know your heart. We might be people who seek after your heart. That we might be a people who love you with everything that we have. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for giving everything to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There were three golfers who got struck by lightning and they ended up at the pearly gates of heaven. They asked St. Peter if there was golf in heaven. And St. Peter assured them that there was incredible golf in heaven. But there was just one rule. Don't hit a duck. As they played, one of the guys hit a duck. St. Peter approached him with a not-so-gorgeous woman, very homely, in fact, and said, you're the one who hit the duck. St. Peter handcuffed the homely woman to the man, and they took off to be on their way for all of eternity. The two others continued to play, and eventually another one hit a duck. Sure enough, St. Peter approached with another ungorgeous woman and handcuffed her to the one who hit the duck, and they were off for all of eternity. The last guy, he continued to play. And one day, St. Peter approached with a knockdown, gorgeous woman and handcuffed the stunning beauty to the guy. Elated, the last golfer said, I don't know what I did to deserve this. And the gorgeous woman said, I hit a duck. <laughs> we oftentimes base our opinions on how people look. We all want the drop-dead gorgeous person that we can marry, that we can spend eternity with. Don't look to your left or your right right now. Maybe they're not so gorgeous. Maybe that's not the one you thought you would be with. But we all look at external beauty to the people around us, and we are no different from the Israelites. They wanted Saul because he was tall and dark and handsome and a warrior, but God doesn't work that way. I know Justin said it last week, God takes the unusual, God takes the small, God takes the rural things, God takes Bethlehem, a podunk town of 400 people in the middle of nowhere, and God brings about a king through the town of Bethlehem. God is going to do that through the town of Bethlehem with a guy named David. Let's read the story, 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, if you were with us last year, I did a whole sermon series on this whole 1 Samuel 16 and 17, and so I, I've been challenged this week, like I don't want this to be just monotonous, like we've heard this before, and, and God sort of led me in a direction, we're going to read this, and I'm going to really highlight a couple things, and we're going to take off in that direction. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? So fill your horn with oil and be on your way, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. 
I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to this verse. You might highlight this, underline this. Do not consider his appearance or his height. That's good news for all the short people in the world, right? For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks where? Or looks at the heart. I don't know about you, but when I read this verse, this is an encouraging verse, and yet it's a scary verse. It's one of those verses that I read, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad, because I don't have the looks, I don't have the appearance, but God chooses and accepts and, and receives those who don't look a certain way, and yet he looks at the heart, and I'll be honest with you, it's sort of scary for me. I know some of my thoughts this week. I know some of the things I said this week. And Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth comes from where? The heart. And so this verse for me, honestly, it was encouraging. And, one, and then it's also challenging. We're going to challenge ourselves this morning. And then Jesse called Adimadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? You know what, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. These out tending sheep on the back field. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I want to read Acts 13, 22 as well. So you flip over to Acts 13, 22. Read a little bit more about David. Acts 13.22, after removing Saul, he made D David their king, and God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse. What's the phrase? A man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. If you had one phrase that would sum up your life that they would put on your tombstone, what would it be? If you had one phrase that you would want to go out with, what would it be? What would you tell your family it would be? What would they say about you? You ever thought about that before? What would you want others to say about you? What would you want your family to say about your life? David's is what? In his inscription, it would say, David, a man after God's own heart. I want to focus on that phrase for a moment as we dive in, and then we'll dive into the implications of what that means. I really felt like the Lord telling me 
to really take this phrase and really hone in on it. I didn't do that the last sermon series we did on David's life. I just want to really hone in on a man after God's own heart. What's the very first phrase of that total phrase? What's the very first word? A man. It sounds simplistic. It sounds like it's not that big of a deal when you say a man, but I found encouragement this week by that one simple word, a man. He wasn't angelic. He didn't have God-like DNA in him. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He was merely a man. I think I found encouragement because a man is what? Flawed. Anybody else in the room have flaws in your life? Is it just me that you, you see the flaws around you? You see the flaws within you? And I say here, and I'm like, you know, David was a man who was flawed. We'll see about it more next week that he had some major flaws within him. But he put on his sandals just like you and I put on our sandals or our Nikes. He would sweat. He bled. David cried. David laughed. In fact, David was just like you and me. And so we see this, and I find encouragement out of this phrase that he's a man. I am a flawed, imperfect man, but he was after something. Do you all realize in the room right now, you all are after something? Every one of us in this room is after something. We seek something. We search for something in your life. What is it right now that you are after? What is it that you are seeking? What has your attention, your time, your energy, your money, your resources, what is it that you are seeking after? What do you want? What do you pursue? What has your energy? For David, it was what? He was a man after God's own heart. He was after God. David pursued God. David sought God. He, he reached out to God. He went after God. What about you? Is it fame, fortune, looks? Is it identity? We just sang, you say, what does God say about you? But oftentimes we get caught up with what? What the world says about us. What is it for you? But I love the, the phrase, he's not only after God, but he says specifically he's after God's own heart. That phrase caught my attention, God's own heart. I love this description. Did you know that God has a heart? Did you know that? We oftentimes think of the heart where? Come on, where, where's your heart? Somewhere in your chest. But the Jews, the Hebrews didn't think like this. The heart was something different. The heart is where you had desires and passions. It was a place where the will came from. It's where you made choices from. It was something deeper within you. It wasn't just something that beats within you, but it is something that is at the very essence of man. Did you know that God has affections? God feels. God desires. God has a will. And this phrase says David pursued those things. 
That David went after God's own heart. He went after God's affection and his desires and his wills. He went after what God wanted. You could say David pursued God's agenda. He loved what God loved. He hated what God hated. He longed for God's will to be brought from heaven down to earth. David longed to know God more and more and more each day. Can I ask you a serious question this morning? Do you want that description on your own life? Can we get serious in the room for a moment? Would you want on your tombstone, your name, a person after God's own heart? Wouldn't it be cool if we had a people who said, you know what, God, I want what you want. I want to hate what you hate. I want to love what you love. I want to pursue what you would pursue. In fact, I want to bring what is up above down to earth. I'm not content with just a ticket to heaven. I, I really want to bring heaven down to earth in my office place, in my home, in the places that I go, in the places that I eat. I want to bring heaven down to earth. I want them to see what heaven is really like. So what would it take? What would it look like for you and I to be people who really are after God's own heart. Let me give you three things this morning. You're going to write these down, jot these down. Three things about what it means to be a person after God's own heart. Number one, and I, I got cheesy with you all, I went with three H's. All right, so just deal with me. I was in the mood this week. We're going three H's. Number one, it means harmony with the Lord. It means harmony with the Lord. All right, it's the new year. How many of you made resolutions this year? Come on, resolution people. Anybody New Year's resolution? Nobody made any? Okay, we got one, two, two. Some of you probably have tried in the past, and you do what? Fail? Yes? Anyway, resolution people have failed before? All right, fail, and then you just like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. All right? Let me ask you a question as we evaluate 2019 and we enter 2020. Where are you at with Jesus? Seriously, where, where are you with Jesus right now? Where are you at with God? Maybe some of you are seeking, you're just searching this thing. You know, you, this is new to you. This, I showed up, somebody invited me. Cool, welcome, we love that you're here. For some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while, and the truth is your relationship with Jesus has gotten lukewarm. Honestly, I'm drinking tea right now, and the tea has gotten lukewarm, and it's rather disgusting. What do I want? Hot tea. M my vocal cords right now want hot tea. Not lukewarm, they want hot. And for some of us, let's be honest with the room, we've gotten lukewarm with our walk with Jesus. Could you say this morning that there's vibrancy with your relationship with Jesus? Has it become robotic? Well, the pastor told me I need to do this, so I'll do this. I'll pray a little bit. 
I guess it's New Year, so I should read my Bible again. Seriously, is that where you are? Be honest in the room. You're in church. We can be honest in the room. Maybe the vibrancy has become dead. Maybe you are dull. Maybe you're not connecting with God. Maybe your heart, if you're honest this morning, is not completely his. There are little rooms in your heart that are divided off from God. You have closets of sin. You have closets of shame that you're not opening up to God. Can I ask you this question? When is the last time you had an honest conversation with God? Like honest, brutally. God, my relationship with you sucks right now. It's horrible. I don't feel you. I don't know you. I don't know where you are. When's the last time you had honest conversation with God? God is big enough to take your honesty. I've learned that over the years. I used to think, I, I was raised in a church where you never said anything mean or harmful to God. And God, along my journey of faith, has broken that, where sometimes it's just time to be honest. God, here's where I really am. When's the last time you had an honest conversation with God? When's the last time you let him in to show him the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life? There's harmony with the Lord with David. And I love Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's saying this, don't lose your zeal. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose it. And what Paul is saying is it can be lost. But keep your temperature rising with Jesus. Serving him. That word serving really is worship him. Give everything. And it's not this, okay, we just sang a worship song. Worship is everything you do with your life. It is beyond just a church service. And here we see David, he keeps his spiritual fervor going. David was a man whose heart was with rhythm with the Lord. He was in harmony with God. I began to ask the question, you know, God, how did this happen? How did David have harmony with you? What was at the core? What was at the center of him having harmony with you? And and first. Samuel 16, 13 came back and haunted me even last night as I was finalizing things. Let me read it again. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And listen to what happened. Listen to the description of what takes place. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. What came upon David? Who came upon David? The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. There's something about God's Spirit when he comes in you and he invades your life. Something switches within you. Something is different when God's Spirit rules and reigns in your life and in my life. Something is different. Let me read Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no judgment 
for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives what? If you feel dead inside, somewhere you've lost your way with God's Spirit. Because it says here that the Spirit brings what? Life, vibrancy, not adult. If you're bored with God, something is going on within you you haven't dealt with. There should be no Christian who is bored with God. That, that is opposite of the Christian faith. If you're bored with God, we need to do some deeper look. We need to look from the inside and go to the out. Because on the inside, something is happening. Something is dull. Something's amiss. Something is not firing on all cylinders. Something on the inside is the problem. But the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're no longer controlled by sin. Before you come to Christ, all you think about is sin. You think about yourself. You think about what will gratify your own flesh, your own nature. That's what you think about. That's what I thought about. But the Spirit comes in and says, I'm breaking you free of that thought pattern. No longer will you think only about yourself. You will think about what the Lord wants and what helps others. Keep going. Go down a few verses in Romans 8. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. What I just said. What's going to take me in? What's going to help me? What's going to benefit me? Me, 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 me. Because all the world is about me, 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 me. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What do you want, Holy Spirit, today? What do you want out of my family? What do you want out of my finances? What do you want out of my job? What do you want out of this? What do you want out of that? What do you want, Spirit? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. And what word? Peace. If you have no peace in your life, I would ask you, are you really controlled by the Spirit today? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But those who are in the spirit, we please God. And David is full of the spirit of the Lord. And so he is in harmony. He's in rhythm with God. His heart is full of love. It's full of passion. It's full of self-awareness. Y'all understand? Are you self-aware of what is going on on the inside of you? Are you honest with yourself? Are you honest with what's going on? It's full of confession. We'll see that next week with David. And it's full of thankfulness. Are you full of thankfulness? Do you, are you gratitude all the time? Are, do you have thankfulness flowing out of your heart? Are you a grumbler all the time? If you're a grumbler, the Spirit is not leading you right now. It is not, you're not keeping in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says. Because the Spirit helps us to understand what? We are thankful for everything that has been given to us. Because it's sheer grace. Read the Psalms. This week, maybe one of your tasks this week is to read the Psalms. Read what David wrote in the Psalms. David's Psalms are full of love. They're full of passion. They're full of self-awareness. They're full of honesty. They're full of confession. They're full of thanksgiving. Let me warn you, though. Let me just stop for a moment. Warn you. Harmony does not mean perfection. 
harmony before the Lord means a vibrant relationship with God that is not lifeless and robotic. It means recognizing God's activity in my life. It means being open to letting him do his work inside of me. That's what it means to have harmony with the Lord. So I want to do something with us. Just indulge me. I felt yesterday like this is where we need to go. So here's what we're going to do. Take your bulletin out if you've got a bulletin. If not, if you find a sheet of paper in that, grab one of the Connect cards in front of you, in your seat in front of you. Let's get real and let's get honest in the room. Let's do this together. I don't always do this, but when I do, just joking. Okay, a little humor. Let's do an activity together. Ready? Write down, take a pen, let's do this. Come on, indulge, let's do this. Some of you haven't done this in forever, let's do this together. One thing I'm thankful to God for, write it. What is it? One thing, come on, let's do it. One thing you're thankful to God for this morning. One thing. I always say, if you're stumped, breathe through your nostrils. Be thankful for that. One thing I'm thankful for. Second thing I want you to do. One thing I question God about right now is what? Ah, we, can we do that, Pastor? We can do this. Let's be honest in the room. What is one thing you question God about right now? You don't want to write a whole sentence, just write abbreviation. One thing you question God about. One thing I need to confess to God is, what is it you need to confess to God right now? Some of you, some of us in the room, we need to pray, God, would you search me and try me and know me? Would you know all my thoughts, all my ways? What is it I need to confess before you right now? Last one. One thing I think God wants to change in my life right now is what? One thing you think God wants to change in your life right now, what is it? All right, how hard of an activity was that? Is it hard to sit and think seriously? Here's what I'm learning. In a world of technology, it is hard to pause for a few moments and reflect. And yet God calls his people to stop and to ponder, to remember things, to consider things. And this is what David did. David cultivated this in his life. He cultivated a relationship with God that was vibrant by asking questions and looking deeper within of what really was going on. And I started to think, how did David cultivate this through the Psalms? How did David get to this place where if you read his Psalms, there was depth to them. It wasn't shallow. There's actually something deep within him. And it hit me. Where was David at when they found him? Where? Taking care of sheep. Now, do you take care of sheep in the city or out on the back hills? Please say in the back hills. 
I've driven through Mount Orb. I don't see too many sheep in the front lawn. I'll drive by, and we, we go out to the Lowe's camps, and you can drive. Now, Lowe's camps, where do they live? Don't TP their house. But where do they live? Out on 286, right? Out yonder. Not in the city. Guess what I find in their yard? Sheep. They're on the back places where it's quiet. Guess what David did? He cultivated his relationship on the back hills with God alone with the sheep. There's something to this. You know what David cultivated with? Let me give you a big word. Solitude. Young people, do you know what solitude is? Millennials, do we know what solitude is? I'm not picking on you, but I am. Because guess what's probably in your hand or in your pocket right now? Phone. One of the things that I, okay, my resolution, I got real simplistic. Here's my resolution for the year. I'm going to pick up my Bible and I'm going to pray before I pick up my phone. Because guess what Chris has realized in the morning? When he picks up his phone, every sports website is found. And I sit and peruse every article. And a half hour of my day is wasted before I ever meet with the Lord. And then I'm running out the door. And honestly, I haven't met with the Lord. Because we live in a society that something's always in our hands. And we don't understand what solitude is. Solitude is getting alone with God and quietness and stillness. David is on the back places of God's green earth, and he is doing what? He is having time alone with God. Here we go. Write this down. Please indulge me. We won't do it now, but you can do it. I did this with the elders two months ago, an elders meeting for a prayer time. I'm going to encourage you guys on this. Please write this down. Do it this week. Try it. See what happens. Let's do this. Five minutes of stillness on your own. Five minutes. Can you do five minutes sitting in a chair, sitting on the floor, sitting somewhere, Away from the kids, because moms, I know kids are going crazy in your life. Maybe it's when they go to bed. Five minutes, stillness, quietness, nothingness. Gadgets are off. God, gadgets are either. One of the things we did with elders meeting is what? Prayer time. Guess what we do now? I tell the guys, cell phones. Put them in a basket. I take them over to the preschool room across the hall, and we put them away. And we say, we're time to pray. No more distractions. Let's get with the Lord, because I know that phone's going to be beeping at us the whole time. Five minutes stillness. Ready? Write down what you are feeling. Pay attention to your feelings. Feelings aren't everything, but feelings are indicators of what's going on on the inside. Write down what you are feeling in those five minutes. Third thing, I had the elders do this, and it was quite interesting. Pay attention to your body. Your body's going to tell you a ton of things about what's going on inside of you. Do you feel tense? Do you feel this anxiety? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel this anxiousness? What do you feel on the ends? What is going on with your body? Are your shoulders up? Are they slouched? Seriously, what is going on with your body? Then I want you to take those things. I want you to begin to confess those to the Lord. Confess those to your, begin to say, God, I feel anxious. And here's why I feel anxious. My kids are driving me batty right now. My kids are running me ragged. I feel like I'm always on the go, Lord. This is what's going on inside of me. I feel like today there is no peace. There is no rest. It is always constant, constant, constant. 
And I want to encourage you maybe to take a verse that you find. If you need help, give me an email. I want you to begin to recite that thing over and over to yourself. And after you do that, I want you to sit in quietness for a few more minutes. And I just want you to listen to the Lord. Just open your ears to the Lord. God loves to speak. He loves to speak. Can I encourage you? Awakening 2020 is about to happen. It is our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Starts next Sunday, January 12th. A little, little piece there. January 12th, 21 days, prayer and fasting. I don't know what you're going to fast from. I don't know what, you're, what God is calling you. I've heard some people say the Daniel fast. There are sheets out there. We've got some resources out there as you exit explain to you the awakening 2020 but maybe during those 21 days you really put this into practice five minutes of stillness and then begin to go through maybe this is part of what you need to do is to find solitude so david had harmony with god but he also had humility he had humility anybody like me this christmas season i realized it i sat down this last week and began to just ponder anybody else make the christmas season about you If I'm honest with myself, I thought a lot about myself this Christmas season. I rarely asked God who he wanted me to serve, how he wanted me to serve others. I went to quite a few Christmas parties and activities, not thinking about how I could serve others, but I thought about what I was going to get out of the night. I went thinking about my own comfort rather than how God might be asking me to get uncomfortable in front of people. And if I'm honest, Carson and I were at Kroger and Amelia a week ago. And God put in front of me a lady who was on the floor against a display center crying. She had a little one-year-old with her. And I felt the Holy Spirit tugging at my strings saying, go talk to her. So I went over and I did talk to her. I said, honey, are you okay? And she said... They just closed the little clinic, and I'm very sick, and I have a one-year-old. And I did the typical Christian thing, I'm so sorry for you. Do you need anything, which is really, I'm going to leave now. As I walked away, the Holy Spirit said, Chris, why didn't you pray with her? Why didn't you share the love of Jesus with her? And I made every excuse in my brain as I walked away. I got Carson with me. You know, I don't want to do this to Carson and put him in front of this. And the Lord just says, but bud, you're training your son in the ways to go. Oh, okay, God, God I got you, I got you, I got you. But you know what? I, she's probably not back there anymore. She's probably gone by now. And I just went on my merry way. And it was like a microcosm of me for me this Christmas season, how I think about myself a lot, and I don't think about others very much. How about you? See, I think David sought after God's heart because he was a man who loved to serve. He was a man who absolutely loved to serve others and serve the Lord. See, a man who is after God's own heart is God's servant. Jesus says this, I did not come to be served, but to serve. I came to serve others. I came to lay myself down for others. And we see in 1 Samuel 17, David doing this. 1 Samuel 17, 
verse 34 through 37. This is the story of David and Goliath. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Anybody notice the language that David says, your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant. And I didn't come to boast my name. I came what? He has defied the armies of the living God. He's defied my God. That's humility. He understands it's not about him, it's about his God and about the reputation of his God. And he came to strike it. So David drops his ego and he comes to the battlefront and he serves. You see, serving means I don't consider myself better than others, but I consider others better than myself. We are here to serve. Can I boast on you guys for a moment? How many people do you think it takes to pull off even a Sunday morning around here? Come on, how many people do you think it takes to pull off a Sunday morning here at TLC? Any ideas? Who said it? 30 plus people to pull off this morning. We are a church who averages around 140 people on a Sunday, and that includes kids. 30 for Sunday morning. I was talking to a friend here recently. He's at another church. And we were talking about volunteerism. And I was telling about how we have over 30 just on Sunday morning alone. And that does include life groups and other places. And he said, dude, you are so lucky. It's like, what do you mean? I said, we have problems finding people for the nursery and the preschool. He's like, oh, the church I'm at, we pay everybody to serve. He goes, we can't get people to serve and we have enough money, so guess what we decided to do? Pay all the volunteers. They're not volunteers anymore. And so when we ask for them to serve, guess what they do? Hey, pastor, I'll throw down a few more hundred bucks. You find somebody, they'll serve. I got my own deal going on. I can't serve. My heart sank for him and my heart leapt for us. Yeah, we've got volunteer issues at times. I don't know what church doesn't. But at the same point, guys, we are called to be servants. If you want to be a person who is after God's own heart, we serve. Because at God's very central core of his heart is what? Service. That's why he came from heaven and submitted himself to the Father to be amongst us was to serve. We serve because Christ first served us and gave himself up for Without Jesus, you and I are nothing. And so we serve. Maybe you're not serving yet around here. Maybe you are. Can I encourage you with something I saw of David? David served in obscurity. He tended his father's sheep on the back part 
of the hills where no one saw him. In fact, what does we see when they go, hey, do you have another son? Uh, that'll be a few minutes. We're eating dinner together, and he's out on the back hills. He didn't even get invited to dinner. We got to go find him. He's somewhere out in the back hills with the sheep. We'll send somebody. We'll find him. Obscurity. Can I encourage you? Find a place that maybe to serve that most people don't even recognize. They don't see you. Start there. You don't get a lot of thank yous. You don't get a lot of attention. But I think one of the things that really helped David as he was a man after God's own, he didn't need all the attention of others. He just served because God served him. He just served. He didn't need all the recognition. Here's what I think is going to happen to your heart. You're going to appreciate that God sees you even when nobody else sees you. That God sees what's going on within you. The third and last thing I want to highlight is this. We're going to honor God through our obedience. We're going to honor God through our obedience. I'm going to bring up a sore subject. I may be pelted with stones. I'm going to do this. Clemson. <clears throat> Some of you will get that. Clemson football team. <clears throat> oh, lost my mic. Beat. Yeah. Amen. God's punishing me for saying Clemson in church. Clemson beat a certain team last week. I don't know if anybody noticed it, but I don't want to bring up the sword shot. I just want to notice something. Anybody see their chin straps? Anybody see it? In a week from tomorrow, they'll play in the national title game. Look at their chin straps. You know what it says on the chin straps? All in. Their coach, Dabo Sweeney, a few years ago, that became their motto. It is all over their weight rooms. It is all over their offices. It is this term, all in. And Dabo was talking, I heard him talk about this, and he says, if we're going to be an elite program, we all have to be all in. What does that mean, to be all in? It means that we're willing to sacrifice, we're going to sweat, we're going to bleed, and we're going to follow the directions of the coaches and the administration of how to be all in. How about you with Jesus? Are you all in? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you all in? Do you have maybe a little toe in right now? Do you have a little bit in? Are you all in with Jesus? Does he have everything? Does he own everything of yours? Will you sacrifice? Will you sweat? Will you bleed? Will you follow his directions to build the kingdom of God? The problem with King Saul was this. He was not all in. in your, as you read this, we go back to 1 Samuel 15. Go one chapter back and you're going to read this story about Saul. He had given, been given directions by God. He went yeah, three-fourths of the way, but he didn't follow the whole way. And God goes, you're not all in. But look what he says about David in Acts 13, 22 again. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And anybody catch that next phrase? He will do everything, 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 everything I want him. He was all in. David will do everything I want him to do. Guys, we honor Jesus by being all in, by doing whatever he wants us to do. By going wherever he wants us to go. 
by volunteering wherever he wants to volunteer, by reconciling with family, even when we don't want to reconcile with our family, when we need to take a break from social media, we will do that. When we need to get plugged in with some people to hold us accountable, we will do that. There are areas in my life, there are areas in your life that we got to say, God, I'm all in so you have full access to everything. I will obey you no matter what you ask. And some things you are going to ask are going to be silly and sound stupid, but I will do them. God is going to make some of you uncomfortable in 2020. I really believe that with all my heart. God is going to ask some things of you that you're going to be like, God, that's crazy. And God's going to remind you of David, a lowly shepherd boy who didn't make the cut with the rest of the people, but God chose a lowly boy on the back hills of his dad's estate, tending sheep, and he made him shepherd to king because he was obedient. He did everything that God wanted him to do. How about you? Can I encourage you with one thing about David's life? Do not, do not in 2020, neglect the little things of life. One other thing I thought about from his time with the sheep, David lived in monotony. Anybody notice that? It was years before David, after he's anointed, it was years before he ever became king. And even then, he returned back to the back sheep farm to take care of the sheep. His day looked like this. He woke up. He found some new grass for the sheep. He provided water for the sheep. He walked the fence. He ate his lunch and his dinner. And he went back to bed. Monotonous. Next day, woke up, fed a sheep, provided water, walked the fence, ate some meals, went back to sleep. Next day, woke up, fed the sheep, provided water, Walked the fence, ate his meals, went to bed. Monotonous. Do you realize that God works through the small things in our lives more than the big things? This came across my devotional, December 31st, Paul Tripp. This came across. The little moments of life are profoundly important precisely because they are the little moments that we live in and they form us. This is where I think big drama Christianity gets into trouble. It can cause us to devalue the significance of little moments of life and the small change grace that meets us there. And because we devalue the little moments in which we live, we tend not to notice the sin that gets exposed there. And so we fail to seek the grace that is offered to us. You see, the character of life is not set in two or three dramatic moments, but they're found in 10,000 little moments. The character that is formed in those little moments shapes us how we respond to the big moments of life. And what makes all of this character change possible? Relentless, transforming, little moment grace. So we wake up each day committed to live in the small moments of our daily lives with eyes open and humble, expectant hearts. We all want the big miracle. We all want the big dramatic thing that God does. Do you know how often that happens in our lives? Anybody else in the room? Happens once in a great while. 
But you know what happens every day? You wake up, you have breakfast, try to get the kids ready for school, you walk out the door, you drive an hour to work, so we live in the suburbs, right? On the country, most of you work down in the city. We do our deal at work, we get in our car, we drive home, we have dinner, we hang out with the family for a little while, we watch some TV, we go to bed. We wake up, you guys get the pattern? And yet God's going to do this. In the little moments of your day, God is at work. And in the little moments of your day, he is shaping your heart. He's shaping the character that's within you. Pay attention to what God is doing in the little moments. He's going to do some unbelievable things in the little moments of your life. And it sounds monotonous, it sounds boring, but God is doing something. He is at work. And God is actually preparing you for some of the big moments that are ahead. And some of you will not be ready because you will not heed these words. You will not be ready in the little moments. Some of you are wandering from God, far from God, and it did not happen in a big newsflash. It happened when? In the little moments of your life. A day where you miss some time with the Lord turns into what? I've had this said to me as a pastor over and over. They come, somebody comes in months after not being here, and they're like, Pastor, I don't know what happened. One day I skipped church. The next week I skipped church. The next week I skipped church. And it just became a habit. For me, skipping church. And I like coming to your church. I like coming to this church. But something happened along the way. And I said, it happened in a little moment. One day, you felt like sleeping in, like we all do. And you made a decision to sleep in rather than come to church. And in that moment, guess what happened? Satan grabbed a foothold of your life. And he began to not let go. And it happened over and over. And it was the little moments. It was not some huge monumental moment. It was the small moments. Pay attention to the small moments. God is at work. God wants to do something in your small moments. Be obedient to him when he calls you to something. Even if it sounds stupid, minuscule, not worthy of my attention, do it because God is at work. God wants to shape his heart into your heart. Make you someone who seeks after his heart. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for the small moments of the day. Today, when we woke up, we made decisions. We didn't even realize it. For some of us, we just went through the motions, but we made decisions. And it's in these small moments of decisions that shape our lives. So I ask that, Father, you would help us to understand that. That, Father, we might be obedient to you, even in the small moments, even the moments that don't seem to matter. They matter to you. The decisions we make this afternoon are going to affect our future. So help us to realize that you desire for us to be people who come after your heart, that we would honor you through obedience even in the small moments. Help us to honor you and how we love our families this afternoon, what we watch on television this afternoon, what we do at work tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., even how we drive to work, those moments matter. For you are building within us something that's far greater than we can realize. And so, Father, we ask that you would build, even in this moment, hearts that seek after your heart, hearts that want to know your heart. Jesus, we need you. Spirit of God, we need you. Empower us. Strengthen us along the way. May we know you. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for being our king. Thank you that you are greater than David, that you laid down your life for us, and you have won the battle. Jesus, we need you. We ask that, Lord, you would lead us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.